Welcome to the Show Me Institute podcast. I'm Zach Lawhorn from Show Me Opportunity, and today I'm joined by David Stokes, Elias Chapellis, and Quinn Riser. Elias, we talked about on this podcast a few weeks ago that everyone should be, Missourians should be waiting at their mailbox for a check. There was going to be um, a tax rebate, $500-ish, that was going to show up sometime later in the year. Should we still be waiting by the mailboxes? I would not be waiting uh, at the mailbox, but, you know, hopefully sometime people will be getting rebates. But, yeah, the news from Jefferson City is apparently uh, Governor Parson is strongly considering uh, vetoing the tax rebates um, for potentially multiple reasons. Um, one one piece of news that came out is that, you know, the I think we talked about before the idea that these rebates were going to be $500 um, non-refundable tax credits to individuals or 1000 for uh, couples. Well, the legislature only set aside $500 million. I realize $500 million only. Um, that's beside the point. But once, the, uh, once they started looking at, well, how much would it actually cost to give people you know, $500 who filed taxes last year, it looks like that um, really would cost something more like $1.2 billion. So Really, instead of getting $500, um, most Missourians would only be getting around 200 And so uh, there were also some other issues with the bill, which included um, there was income tax, uh, income caps. So there were a lot of people that um, you know wouldn't be getting it otherwise. And so uh, Governor Parson expressed some concerns and potentially, the, um, potentially vetoing this piece. But hopefully, if that does happen, it would be a um, scenario where Governor Parson calls the legislature back and says, hey, you know, Jefferson City has more money now than really any time I can remember. The state fiscal year ends, uh, state fiscal year ends today, revenues up almost 15%. So we're, there's tons of money there. And, um, you know, with all this money, I think some of that should be going back to taxpayers. And hopefully if the governor is going to be vetoing this, it's because he wants to actually give Missourians the uh, $500 the legislature uh, was promising. And so that, yeah, that was going to be my next question is that has he made any noises about what he would do with this money if it doesn't go to this tax rebate program? Well, that's that's one of the more difficult parts of this is if the governor vetoes this uh, bill, um, so there's a piece of this rebate that's in the state's budget, and then there's also a bill that impacted some state employees also. But if he vetoes this, uh, that's essentially $500 million that can't be spent on anything else. And as I mentioned, there's so much money in Jefferson City right now. Revenues are so high. Uh, I would like to think that if the governor was going to be vetoing this, he would be uh, considering ways to get that money back to taxpayers um, which would require the legislature to act. When this was moving through Jefferson City, through the legislature, didn't this kind of seem like a slam dunk when, once it got through? I mean, it was such a, a hectic session. I mean, it took. It seems like it took so much effort to get anything past the finish line. And for the governor now to consider vetoing something that actually got past... I don't know, does this surprise you that this is something that he's going to potentially veto i i'm very surprised by it just because uh yeah this was something that was worked on for so long there were so many compromises uh as i said earlier there are these income caps which uh, people that made over one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year uh, individuals or couples over three hundred thousand were not going to be receiving this 
Um, that was one of the compromises uh, the House made with the Senate. Um, you know, there are multiple moving parts. This was uh, as the legislative session was wrapping up, you know, senators, uh, members of the House were all saying, you know, this is one of their biggest accomplishments of the year, you know, trying to get the money back to taxpayers. And so I, I just can't believe the governor would veto these and take the money off the table so that it can't be spent on anything, because I'm cer- I'm certain that the legislature, if they knew there was $500 million more that they could use, they would have put that to some sort of use. And so I, I just hope that if the governor has a pl- if he does decide to veto this, that he has a plan for how to get this money back to taxpayers or some sort of good use to it, because uh, there's way too much money in Jefferson City and too much time is spent on this to just uh, let it go to the wayside. All right. Well, we'll check back for updates if he decides to veto it or not veto it or what the what the plan is. Um, all right. One area where there is money being spent is on transportation. And Quinn, this is an area that you're working on for us this summer. And we'll start on the western part of the state in Kansas City. There was a story about the uh, Kansas City streetcar and the bus system. Uh, fill us in. What's going on? Yeah. So starting with the buses, um, there was a story this actually yesterday that uh, the head of the Kansas City Area Transportation Authority, the KCATA, um, this guy's name is uh, Robbie Makinen, and he's basically being ousted from his job uh, for political reasons. So it turns out that um, Kansas City approved to spend about $20 million to basically create uh, LED street lamps, replacing old street lamps. Well, it turns out that they actually didn't have any money to pay for it. So um, city manager Brian Platt and public works director Mike Shaw went to uh, Robbie Makinen and said, hey, the bus system is going to pay for these new LED streetlights. Well, um, the bus system actually gets about 90% of its funding from uh, Kansas City and the sales tax they, uh, they have to pay for the bus system. So this is actually a pretty severe blow. And considering the fact that uh, the bus system is already having a pretty bad uh, budget crunch and that um, is resulting in fewer bus lines running and uh, just riders being you know, not having a reliable way to get to work, um, it's going to be really tough for the Kansas City bus system. And some of that was one of the reasons given was it's just a, a labor shortage, right? They're having a tough time finding drivers. And right. So uh, some of the things that we're seeing across the economy in different areas that it's just tough to find people to work and you need bus drivers to, to make the lines run. So some of the, the arguments have been that this money could be better used to find and pay, retain and recruit bus drivers and other workers that make the bus system uh, run smooth, right? Oh, absolutely. And uh, yeah, just that's really been one of the biggest concerns is staffing. And an increased budget would absolutely allow more bus lines to run and just a more reliable service for uh, Kansas City uh, bus riders. There's so much to, to unpack here, both in Kansas City and in St. Louis. That you know the star. That's just one of the star articles in, from the past week or so on, on the topic. The other is just a, a about a week ago, there was an article that, that Quinn has written about, about just the failures of their bus rapid transit system and how they just don't have, well, we're talking about the lack of funding. They don't have enough funding for enough drivers, enough buses to make their bus rapid transit system work. And this is a bus rapid transit system that we have praised at Chomi Institute previously and still support. They're taking so much money for their streetcar, their 
you know, absurd little streetcar toy project, which is, I would say the best thing you can say about it is it's slightly more successful than the loop trolley. So I guess it's got that going for it. <laughs> but they're spending so much money on the streetcar. And then just to prove the utterly naked political nature of these systems, you know, they're firing the head of the AC, KC Transportation Authority because they just, the city, he's supposed to be independent. And then the city manager said, we need $20 million. And he had the audacity to resist giving the city manager $20 million for streetlights, not, you know, not in his jurisdiction. And so they're just going to fire him because it's like, this is Kansas City historic politics at its finest. Just do what we say or you're out of here. So he's apparently out of here. They don't have the money to run their bus rapid transit system because they're spending it on everything bus, everything but a bus rapid transit system. And the same thing is going to be repeated here in St. Louis with Metrolink, and it's it's very frustrating. So fill me in on the the streetlight part of this. Was this just an upgrade that needed to happen? Energy efficiency moving right. to LED, or was this a, a safety issue? What? Yes, I mean it sounds great. You know they they wanted to replace the old looking Cobra Cobra head uh, style streetlights, and uh, yeah, LED lights sound great, but no one thought, hey, how should we pay for this? So that we get the yeah the city manager going to the bus system and saying, hey, you're the one who's gonna be paying for this. All right, so it still sounds like it's a very fluid situation and there's still a lot to be worked out. Right, I think the next person that they hire will uh, give them the $20 million for, for the streetlights or else his or her career at KCATA will be very short. It's just so, you know, we have city manager government systems designed to depoliticize local government. And here's just, and it's not, it doesn't actually work that way. It's just politics without the partisan title in most instances. And here's just a, a clear example of that in, in Kansas City. Uh, give us $20 million to spend on something that doesn't relate to your agency. And the guy says, no, I don't want to do that. All right, you're fired. I mean, it's, it's, it's insane. And we're, and, and, but this whole thing is just going to be repeated in St. Louis with Metrolink. We were, I was at the county council hearing on it uh, the, on Tuesday. And they've got, you know, they don't have... Buses that operate efficiently in St. Louis. We don't can't afford to keep drivers. Staffing shortages. Bus, but they're going to spend eight hundred million dollars on a north-south route to the city of St. Louis to serve a, a soccer stadium that gets you know where they're going to play fifteen home games a year. That's uh, also already by Metrolink at Union Station. It's like a five-minute walk. So they're going to spend this whole new route. It's just it's just crazy because you're supposed to be doing this. You're supposed to be funding transit, not sh- not expensive light rail, and we can't even give the people of St. Louis or Kansas City good transit, good buses, but we're finding ways to spend hundreds of millions of dollars elsewhere, and it's very it's infuriating. And for listeners who can kind of hear that, David Stokes is literally pounding the table for this <laughs> issue. This is he's he's uh, animated. So f- you mentioned Quinn is kicking the table. <laughs> he's so he's so angry. Um, so you mentioned a few details there about. St. Louis and a Metrolink expansion. Quinn, that's something else that you wrote about. So yes. uh, fill everyone in on, on what, the, what the plan is there. Yeah, so uh, basically this is the plan that's been approved. Is, um, it's going to go from Nash- Na- Natural Bridge Road at Fairground Park down Jefferson Avenue uh, by the new ne- National Geospatial Intelligence Agency headquarters, by the uh, MLS Stadium, and then into South, South City by uh, – and it's going to end at Chippewa Street. So um, – and like like uh, David alluded to, it's going to cost you know a ridiculous amount of money, like between six hundred and eight hundred million dollars, um, which is money that could much better be spent improving our current bus system or investing in bus rapid transit. Uh, for those who don't know, bus rapid transit 
it can almost basically work exactly like light rail. You can have elevated uh, bus stations so that um, it's very clear where the bus stations are. They can be uh, safer than uh, current buses, and they can just uh, be a better experience by having more frequent service and faster service. So uh, these are options that are available, but St. Louis is choosing to use a more inefficient system that's actually going to hurt uh, our transit. So do we know anything about the demand? I guess at this point it would be potential demand for Metro a Metrolink stop to the new soccer stadium. Quinn, in your piece that you wrote, uh, you mentioned that there is a stop Union Station that's just a five-minute walk. But do we have any reason to believe that the uh, the people are clamoring for a Metrolink stop to be added for the soccer stadium? I mean, well, the new stop wouldn't be on the existing blue and red lines. So if you're coming from West County, uh, like you know, if you like a lot of people who go to Cardinals Blues games, they take the Metrolink. You take the blue red line, you would still get off at Union Station because there, there wouldn't be an MLS stop at, on the blue red line, and you'd have to make the walk. You wouldn't make a, you know, a slight detour, get on another train, and do another like 30-second train ride. It doesn't make any sense. So the only people who would benefit is maybe people coming from South City who'd want to get to the MLS stadium, but I still submit that a, a dedicated bus line from South City could do the job much better, especially for a soccer team that would play like 15 home games a year, like David said. Absolutely, or a bus or a bus rapid transit route from from North North City, and they've got plans to then take Metrolink up to North County. Here's the thing: nobody rides Metrolink. I mean, that's just the the ugly truth here. Twenty-two thousand people in the St. Louis region take buses every day to commute. That's the latest federal census data. Uh, Four thousand take Metrolink every day to to commute. Twenty-two thousand commute via bus. Four thousand via Metrolink. So clearly somebody rides Metrolink, but not enough people use it with any regularity to justify the billions and billions we've spent on it and the billions more we're going to spend on a on a new route, which will have even lower ridership. Uh, they're saying it'll cost six to eight hundred million dollars. This is several years in the future, and these types of large scale transit projects are always always substantially undersold this far out. So I can't even imagine how much it will actually cost when they break ground on it in a, in a couple of years. The Shrewsbury extension of Metrolink done a little, a little less than 20 years ago cost far, far more than originally, originally expected and slated to. This will certainly be a repeat of that. And again, we could spend a fraction of this on a better bus system and get better service for our our entire community get better service for the people who actually use transit and save taxpayer money, but that's that's not the incentive. The the incentive is to spend a fortune of federal or local money. You know, construction companies construction companies like it, labor unions like it. We're just spending money for the sake of spending money. And is some of this funding for the MetroLink is that a result of the infrastructure bill from last yeah, year? Yeah, that's primarily what it's going to be financed through. Um, I think what I read is the city only has like $50 million it's actually going to put towards it. So, yeah, again, our six to $800 million price tag, likely more, is going to be really at very little cost to the city. So they don't really care that, you know, that they're spending all this money because none of it's theirs. And I think, I mean, not that, much of it is. Not, not much of it is theirs. That concern w- was raised by from several corners uh, when the infrastructure bill was passed that this and – uh, the other relief funds that we might end up in a situation where people and municipalities have piles of money and they're just 
looking for things to spend it on rather than having something to spend it on and needing the money. And it seems like that, not just with this story, but several stories from across the country, that we're in that exact situation, that there are piles of money waiting to be spent and people are inventing projects. Yes, that is, you are, you are <laughs> correct. That is, that is the problem. And it will be, we will do that for hundreds of billions, if not trillions of, of, of federal stimulus funds in coming years. And then we'll wonder why inflation is, inflation is out of control at the same time. I, I, for one, cannot wait until St. Louis spends you know, billions of dollars on transportation and the roads are still horrible everywhere I drive. Yeah. Hey, there we go. Yes, a very uh, hopeful look at the future from Alas. But no, you're right that it's I think when people hear infrastructure fix our roads and bridges, I mean, we all drive around here around St. Louis and like that is a worthwhile investment fixing the potholes. It seems like it's simple and it's just something that uh, a government would be taken for granted for for doing. But it's something that we just can't get right. It's true, but it, it's in fairness, we shouldn't just highlight only mass transit projects as wasteful expenditures of, of stimulus funds and transportation funds. There are plenty of, of new, there will be plenty of new road projects around America that and in Missouri that will also be totally unnecessary expenditures of of, of tax dollars just for, because some county has it, so they're going to spend it. Not not every road project is automatically good or justified either. Many of them are. All right, so we've talked about Kansas City, we've talked about St. Louis, and our final stop today is going to be Lake of the Ozarks. David, there's in Osage Beach, there's this gigantic outlet mall right in the center of town, and it's been going downhill for the last few years, decade, whatever. There's plans to redevelop it. What's the latest? Well, before before we get to that, let's we're almost to the 4th of July, so we're talking Lake of the Ozarks. I want to give a shout out to all the all the people who will be spending a very relaxing day on the lake on on Fourth of July, just on your boat, relaxing in the the soothing the soothing beautiful Lake of the Ozarks. I once described a holiday weekend on the on Lake of the Ozarks as about as relaxing as jumping on the trampoline next to the speakers at a Who concert. So I think that's what a lot of people have to have to look forward to. Nonetheless, I love Lake of the Ozarks. I do go there with family and friends. Uh, Many people are familiar with the Lake Ozark Outlet Mall. Many, I'm sure many people who listen to this podcast will have, have been there. It's still in operation. It's not completely closed. It's just sort of a, a greatly reduced force than it used to be. So there's a, a proposal. Now it's pulled, thankfully. But there was a proposal for some developers to redo it, a $180 million proposal. New shops, restaurants, entertainment options, many, many things. And they wanted $65 million in, in public subsidies for this. So that's, you know, a third of the price. That's a tremendous subsidy. And it passed the Osage Beach TIF Commission, unfortunately. But more fortunately, it has stalled at the city council level. And the development proposal has been pulled due to disagreements with the developers and the, the city. It's been There's some good articles on it at lakeexpo.com, which I recommend reading, as well as our testimony up at showmeinstitute.org. It seems that the, the crux of the uh, several things were at issue, one of which is that the city had the audacity not to hire the financial advisors that the developers told them to hire. They hired independent financial advisors, and the developers were livid at that. So I guess the developers thought they were going to get to control every aspect of this deal. And when the city 
unbelievably hired an independent voice to advise them. That was that started having things go south quickly. We started asking questions a week ago about a type of funding, a type of subsidy in the development, in the proposal, the proposal that was passed by the TIF Commission that, by all accounts, to my mind, is illegal. <laughs> like, how they were able to do this is beyond me. Uh, they had a, they called it a fee, but it wasn't a fee, it was a tax, and it was a tax without any state authority to, to levy. Uh, to the city's credit, they when we talked about it, they were going to look into it and deal, and I think deal with it. So that might have been another part that the developers were objecting, is that the city might have been pushing back on their GIF revenues, which is the term they used in the, I'm not making that up, nobody knows what it really means. So the good news is that the public subsidy for this proposal has been stopped for now. Uh, I would expect something to come back. I would expect that the uh, developers will continue to ask for an enormous subsidy, but I would hope that Osage Beach uh, would uh, stand firm and not just open the spigot and give them everything that they, they want. O Lake of the Ozarks is a thriving, thriving, vibrant, successful area. They do not need to use subsidies to grow the economy of the Lake of the Ozarks. Just because a few parcels are struggling does not mean that the area is blighted, does not mean that subsidies are necessary. Sometimes you just have to give a spot time and for redevelopers to come in for the right the right project. And so it's frustrating that they're just going right to the enormous subsidy. But again, credit to Osage Beach for pulling the plug on it, and hopefully they'll stand firm in the long run. Well, that's what I was going to say. It seems to me that if you were going to design a thought experiment about development subsidies in Missouri, one of the pieces of land that you would set up in this thought experiment is in one of the, as you were saying, most booming parts of the state there's construction everywhere when you go down to the lake new restaurants new, and it's a gigantic piece of real estate directly in the middle of the most populous part of that booming region and so the idea that someone needs to come in and have further incentive and public money to redevelop that area on its face seems crazy to me absurd absolutely it's absurd it's like the only project that we know of that tried to get a blight designation that failed at the courts was a project in Clayton about a decade ago involving Centene, where it wasn't a TIF, but it was a different subsidy, and they blighted the area of Forsyth and Hanley Roads, roughly, approximately. And, and it was just insane. And so they went to the courts, and the courts said, you can't call this area blighted. It's not blighted. So that's, but that's the level of, like, Osage Beach. That part of Clayton is one of the nicest parts of downtown Clayton, which is one of the richest parts of the wealthiest county in the state of Missouri. So they were blighting, like, the single most financially prosperous place in the state of Missouri, just about. But Osage Beach is right there, too. Like, it's a thriving, successful, economically successful area. You don't need subsidies to grow the economy in that part. And as you said, as a thought experiment, it's fantastic. Because if people are saying, we need subsidies to succeed here, well, then you're basically saying we need subsidies to succeed anywhere in the state of, state of Missouri. And it's absurd. And hopefully the project goes forward and succeeds. But hopefully there's not a penny of public subsidy attached to it. It, it cannot be overstated. This is a mall that is not completely closed. There are stores that are open. How could it be blighted if businesses are succeeding without subsidies right now in the in the location? Well, but there, you know, if you, there's some cracked sidewalks 
Elias. It, it and cer- uh, it the, certainly doesn't the look parking as good lot as, needs to be repainted. Right. It certainly doesn't look as good as it did whenever, you know, whenever I was younger and would go down there. And, you know, retail has struggled all across America. But it, I, it's just crazy whenever I heard about this story that this mall that I could go shop at this weekend with, you know, not as many stores as it used to. But the idea that to do something in another part of it needs, you know, government money is just crazy to me. Elias is going to go shopping for some sunscreen before yeah. he spends uh, the next four or five days relaxing on the lake. Yeah. Uh, final thing on this topic before we move on, and David, I know you've been on the radio a couple times since uh, this project was proposed, but do you have any sense of kind of the sentiment of the community down there? Does it seem like the people that would be uh, most impact or have a say, I don't want to say most impacted, but the community that would be able to give input on this, what, are they for it, against it? What do we know? Well, from the lakeexpo.com stories of it, the only people who showed up at the TIFF Commission public hearing, which, and based on the minutes at Osage Beach's website, they only had one hearing of the TIFF Commission, which is way too few. As I, as I said on the Gary Nolan Show, they might have had a few other less publicized meetings, too, that I don't know about. But you can't do all of this in just one public hearing. And they actually stocked it with people who worked at the, the outlet mall in, and wanted the investment so that the outlet mall could, could succeed even, even more. So apparently the owners of the mall and the businesses there told their employees to show up and, and speak at the hearing because that's who was there speaking in favor of the subsidy. It's just it's, – look, the people who spend – the people who are going to be victimized by these incredibly high taxes where this subsidy – had it been approved, you know, most of them – they're not in Osage Beach right now. Like they're the they're the tourists who are going to come and get it stuck to them. Don't get me wrong. The school district of that area is going to get hit by by the subsidy, the fire district, and others. But it's just a classic example of concentrated benefits. The people who are going to benefit from it, the the mall owners, the the developers, they work really hard for it. While the people who get hurt by it, you know, they don't get hurt as much as those who benefit win. So they don't oppose it as actively as they should it's it's frustrating that local government well, we follow this so closely at show me too but but the ordinary missourians can't do that you, you don't have time to just take off work or step away from your family and go oppose a, a tiff in in town a or county b so it's it's just they take advantage of of the this situation and move things through as quickly as they they can and thankfully in this case for a variety of reasons it's been stopped but i'm i'm i think it highly likely that the subsidy request will return all right and we'll check in for updates so usually to close out the podcast we go around and we ask what everyone's looking into over the next week but since we're going into the fourth of july holiday i'm going to put our director of municipal policy on the spot here a little bit and as we go into the holiday weekend give us a rundown of fireworks ordinances around the area you city fireworks no can you is it just third and fourth no no in, in university city no fireworks we'll hear plenty of fireworks but no fireworks in st louis county any i don't think it's anywhere it's allowed in st louis county in many other parts of, of missouri fireworks are are allowed uh, you can shoot them off you can sell them and buy them in certain spots in o'fallon missouri you can you can sell them at a, at a fireworks stands out there other parts of st charles uh plenty of plenty of parts of missouri have the freedom to enjoy fireworks just enjoy them responsibly and what about the city proper st louis city proper no 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 fireworks all right well no fireworks there no no one can claim ignorance now everyone has been warned st louis city st louis county 
St. Charles County is kind of a mixed bag. And then uh, I think most of the rest of Missouri, it's, you can lots of lots of incorporated cities, towns, or villages. You can't do it within there. But in most of the unincorporated counties of of Missouri, you can you can do it. Certainly not in Kansas City. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's illegal in Kansas City. If I'm if I'm wrong, they they can call and call and tell me, and I'll correct it on the next podcast. Quinn, Elias, you guys stocking up, heading somewhere <laughs> where it's legal to shoot them off this weekend. Uh, probably, probably not, but I'm sure, uh, I'm sure I'll be hearing them or I'll, I'll be telling myself at the very least what I hear are fireworks. There you go. And Quinn, how about you? You stocking up sparklers? You, you a pop? Oh, guy, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Love fireworks. All right. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you everyone for listening. And as always plenty more at showmeinstitute.org. Quinn, Elias, and David, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you.